My name is Michael Fukuyama. I'm the youth pastor here. I know it's been a while since I last spoke, so I'm very excited to be up here again. And today we are celebrating Good Friday. Now, growing up, I always questioned, why is it called Good Friday when it seems like such a sad day, right? The death of Jesus. And so if you're new here, or if maybe you're unfamiliar with the concept of Good Friday, I'm going to go over kind of why we call it Good Friday and what, why is it good before I go into my theme, hope for everyone. So what is Good Friday? Good Friday is the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ. Now, however, it is not explicitly called Good Friday in the Bible, okay? Nowhere in the Bible does it say Good Friday. And it is supposed to be a day of mourning for Christians. So again, I thought to myself, if it's supposed to be a day for mourning, why do we call it good? And here's why. Jesus' death on the cross represented victory over sin and death. And it didn't represent temporary victory. It represented permanent victory, both in this life and the next. We call it Good Friday because it's great news for us. But for those who saw Jesus be crucified on the cross, the last thing they thought was, how was this good? Now I'm going to give out some reactions that can be found in the gospel accounts and in no particular order, but the first reactions we have are the soldiers, the, sh- the chief priests, and the scribes who mocked him, mocked Jesus. This could be found in the Matthew and Mark accounts. The next, the next reaction that we have is that women were weeping for Jesus. This is in the Luke account. Following that, we have two criminals on the cross. One did not care, and the other wanted Jesus to save himself and him. This could also be found in the Luke account. A centurion realizes they killed an innocent man, and a centurion was a Roman official, which was part of the Roman government. This is part of the Luke account as well. And lastly, Jesus himself cries out to God and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This could be found in the Mark account, which is chapter 15, verse 34. And another word for forsaken means left me. So Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you left me? So in these five responses, there is no emotions that represent good. The people that were happy were probably the Roman officials, right? They mocked him. They were joking around because they were finally killing someone whom they were afraid of. That was the only positive emotion that they felt. Overall, that is not a positive emotion to us. So based on these reactions, There was literally nothing good happening before those who saw the death of Jesus. But to call it good, and for us to see the hope, we have to set the stage of how bad things were and how bad things things were going to get to appreciate the death and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now we're going to go back in time. We're going to go into the Old Testament, right? We know that Jesus died for us, but it wasn't only for us, all right? So in the Old Testament, we know that God's chosen people or God's chosen children were the Israelites, right? God loved the Israelites to death. But the issue here is that the Israelites kept messing up. And this started in Exodus, right? We have Moses carry the, the Israelites, you know, out of slavery from Pharaoh. And God is like, follow me. I'm going to save you, 
right? I'm going to save my people because that's how much I love you. But what happens? The Israelites disobey God. One of the first things they do is complain to God, God, I'd rather die in the desert. I'd rather go back to slavery. I'd rather go back to serve under Pharaoh than to be hungry and wandering around for all these years. And then when they get to the mountain where Moses is discussing with God, what do they do? They replace God with a statue because they lose faith. They need a physical statue to worship and they disobey God. And God is like, are you kidding me? I took you out of Israel, uh, excuse me, I took you out of Egypt. I took you out of slavery and you're disobeying me. So this is where things start to take a turn. And we see this pattern of the Israelites disobeying God through kings, through judges. We have all the prophets in the Old Testament. They keep messing up. And God is like, why do you guys keep doing this? Now, in the Old Testament, a common way and the most frequent way that the Israelites or people who messed up before God were to offer sacrifices, also known as atonement. And what atonement means is to cover someone's debt, which would be an animal that would cover the debt and sins of the Israelites or whoever messed up before God. Okay. So every time the Israelites messed up, they would do the same thing. They would burn incense. They would, they would do sacrifice offerings, animals. But then it started to get old to God. The prophet Isaiah said that no longer were these sacrifices and offerings meaningful to God. Why? Because they kept doing the same thing. They, as in the Israelites, kept messing up over and over and over again. And that's scary. That's hopelessness, right? The fact that God is getting tired of the only way the Israelites could save themselves, which was through offerings. God is saying that doesn't work anymore. Atonement doesn't work anymore. But also part of the prophet's jobs were to, one, remind people that, hey, you guys are messing up. You guys are screwing up badly. They would warn the Israelites, if you don't follow God, this is, these are the consequences to follow. But they would also deliver hope. And that's what the pro- prophet Isaiah did. The prophet Isaiah prophesied over a new king from the line of David that would end this evil. This new king would be like no other, no other than the kings who ruled over Jesus. Sorry, ruled over Israel. This king would serve and suffer through the wrongdoings of his people and end up being a sacrifice. Right? That was the hope that the Israelites looked up to. Now, they didn't know when the Messiah would come. Jesus was never named in the Old Testament, but they knew that a savior, a king, once and for all, would end the wicked and evil ways of the world. Right? So again, these prophecies, these prophets were meant to bring hope to the Israelites. And this is how hope is revealed through Jesus' sacrifice and death. Now, if we look at Luke chapter 23, verse 39 through 43, it says, One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the others rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now I'm going to use this passage, I'm going to use the criminal here 
as the focal point for how hope is for everyone. The criminal represents us. Now, I don't want you guys to think, Michael, I'm not a criminal. I'm clearly here watching you. I'm not in jail. But that's not the point, right? That is not the point. The criminal represents us because the criminal did not deserve to be forgiven. The criminal did not deserve to be loved, did not deserve to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? He was up there for a reason. He was a thief. And just like us, we sin. We do not deserve God's love. We do not deserve the sacrifice that Jesus gave us, right? Because we mess up. We mess up every day. So we do not deserve this, right? But this is where the hope comes in. Even though we don't deserve it, Jesus' suffering, his sacrifice, was to finally, finally forgive our sins, but also free us from those mistakes. Now, as I was studying this passage, I don't know if anyone else had maybe this realization, but this criminal was the first person to experience Jesus' prophecy and fulfillment. What does that mean? Well, Jesus, we know that he was going with his disciples, ministering, discipling, shepherding. He was inviting people to walk with him, to, to know what this new king is like, to know what the kingdom of God is like. Right? So they accept Jesus. They accept Christ. But we know that the prophecy and the fulfillment would only be fulfilled if Jesus died on the cross, right? So yes, these people are being accepted into the kingdom of heaven, into the kingdom of God, but Jesus didn't die yet, right? So it is the criminal who is the first person to experience the prophecy of Jesus. Isn't that crazy? And in this passage, well, it's not there, but in, in that passage, the criminal does not ask for forgiveness. He doesn't repent. He's not baptized. He doesn't accept Jesus Christ and his Lord and Savior. He probably barely even knew Jesus and his miracles. Yet he was the first person to enter the kingdom of heaven, to enter the kingdom of God through the prophecy and fulfillment of Jesus Christ. And so when the, when the criminal asked him, Jesus, let me remember me when I'm in your kingdom. What does he tell the criminal? Right? He says, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Right? The, how, fitting is that, how fitting is it that the first person to experience the fullness of God's love is a criminal? Not a follower of Jesus, but a, 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 a criminal. Right? Now, if you look in the Old Testament... There are very few ways you could follow God. You literally had to be born an Israelite or you had to fear God. Outside of that, you were kind of screwed, okay? Because it was God against everyone else, everyone else outside of Israel, right? It was God against false gods like Baal. It was God against idols. It was God against any temptation that tried to take away Israel. And we know that God, he would, you know, destroy cities, he would spare some, but most of the time, he's trying to protect Israel, right? Again, Israel was God's children, his chosen people. But this is where the tables turn. Because Jesus, right, when he's doing ministry, he doesn't talk to just the Jews. He's not ministering to just the Jews. He's ministering to everyone, right? We know in the New Testament, the people that were looked down upon, the Samaritans, the lepers, the sick, the poor, the prostitutes, right? All those people, Jesus 
was the one to minister to them. Jesus was the one to go out there and tell them, I love you. Jesus was the one to tell them, I don't care what people have told you what you are. I don't care how you live your life. I love you. Never once did Jesus say, oh, you're a sinner. Oh, what you're doing is wrong. Jesus said, come as you are, follow me, and you'll see the beauty of this kingdom that I speak of, right? And it's not just the lowest class or it's not the sick that Jesus ministered to. He ministered to everyone. Some of Jesus' enemies were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Roman government. But we know that Jesus even reached out to them, like Nicodemus the Pharisee, right? Again, the Pharisees, they did not like Jesus. Jesus was there to correct their religious teachings, but the Pharisees were like, no, 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 we think we're doing it the right way. But they weren't. But then Nicodemus saw that Jesus was actually teaching something that was aligned with what Christianity is, what God really came down to do with Jesus. So Nicodemus, the Pharisee, became a believer. We have a Roman government official, a centurion, who came to believe Jesus because he had asked Jesus, heal my servant, please. Lord, please heal my servant. And Jesus responds, you are probably one of the only people that I witnessed with this much faith. Again, a Roman government official, a centurion, someone who is opposing Jesus, but Jesus goes out there and shows them this kingdom is not seclusive. This is for everyone, right? In Luke 16, verse 16, it says, the law and the prophets were until John came. Since the good news of the kingdom of God is being proclaimed and everyone tries to enter it by force. So what Luke is saying here is that literally when Jesus is walking down the road and you see these mass, you see these mass crowds, people are trying to get to him, right? The people who are trying to touch him because they need healing or the person who was lowered into the house where Jesus was, right? People are trying to get a piece of what Jesus is offering. But instead of saying, oh no, you have to be a believer to get that, Jesus is like, I'll give you exactly what you're looking for before you accept me. Jesus is going out there and telling everyone, follow me, come as you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter you know, what job you had. Follow me and you'll see exactly the promise that I speak of, right? Jesus accepts all. And now going back to the criminal, the criminal represents the hope that lies ahead of us. Christ is available to all. It is accessible to all. It does not matter what your past was like or what you are like now. Christ is for everyone and God loves everyone. Jesus did not die just for Christians. Jesus died for everyone. He died for those who don't even know who Jesus is. Jesus died for those who maybe have fallen from the faith. Jesus died for those who are still thinking about maybe following him. Right? Again, Jesus died for everyone. When I was in preschool, and every time Good Friday and Easter rolled around, I I had this one question I remember asking my mom, and I, and I asked her, Mom, does Jesus die every Good Friday? <laughs> and I was in preschool. So I, I could not comprehend that idea. I still can't. But she said, no, Michael, Jesus died one time for the people in the past, for the people in the present, which is who were with Jesus 
at the time and the people of the future, which is us. One time. And that blew my mind. It still blows my mind. That one death saved everyone on this world. That Jesus redeemed us through one incredible act. I have a quote by Dieter Zander, and it says, when we accept Jesus' invitation, believe that what he is saying is true and follow him with our whole life. We experience freedom from, from past sins and future fears along with contentment, joy, love, and power today. That's what we're supposed to be feeling with the sacrifice that Jesus gave us, right? That we no longer have to be ashamed of our sins. We no longer have to be ashamed of our wrongdoings or our disobedience to God. That Jesus say, no, 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 no. I died so that you can walk in love. I died so you can walk in freedom. No longer bound to the sins that kept us away from God. No longer bound from the mistakes that kept us away from God. So when Jesus died, he didn't die for me or for you. He died for everyone. Right? And that is why there's hope for everyone. That is why there will continually be hope for everyone. Even in a wicked and evil world today where we're thinking, Jesus, where are you? God, where are you? The hope is still there. And it's because of the death of Jesus Christ that we remember that this isn't something we should take for granted, that this isn't something we should take lightly, that we need to be able to recognize just how important this was for us. Because if Jesus never died on the cross for us, you can bet that our future will look as dark as, the, as dark can get. There is no hope if Jesus never dies for us. There is no grace. There is no love. There is no mercy if Jesus does not die for us. So as we remember Good Friday, know that hope is for you. Hope is for your neighbor that does not know God yet. Hope is for those who have been hurt by the church. Hope is, by, hope is for those who have maybe done wrong to their community. Just not for the good people out there. Hope is for everyone. Jesus' love is for everyone. And that's what we should be sharing, right? The good news that Jesus didn't die for the believers only, but he died for all of us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we you know, wrap up you know, this message on Good Friday, I just pray that, that we are so thankful of the sacrifice that we remember every day that when we mess up, that we have the sacrifice to fall on, to know that we are saved, that we no longer have to give up offerings because Jesus was the ultimate and final offering, that we continue to live our lives with love, not out of anger or hatred, that we share a gospel that is loving, that does not come off as condemning. That we walk with those who are struggling and walk with those who are hurting. 
have we let them know that God is for them? That they don't need to transform. They don't need to do a 180 to come to Jesus. They just need to come as they are and Jesus will take care of the rest. And that, right, is the good news. And just like the criminal God, that we, remember, that we remember the criminal is us. We don't deserve this gift. We don't deserve the ultimate sacrifices, but that's how much you love us. And because of that sacrifice, we could remain hopeful. No matter how dark the world gets, how, no matter how evil or wicked the world gets, that we can remain hopeful that you are there that we remain hopeful that you are working and that when we enter this life with Jesus, the eternal life starts now, not, not in the next, not in heaven, but as soon as we walk with Jesus, eternal life starts now. And that is one of the best things we could ever experience, if not the best thing we can experience with you. So I thank you, God, for sending your one and only son to save the world, to redeem us, to redeem the world, to permanently release us from our, from our bondage, from our chains that have set us away from you, God, that we can rejoice, that we can celebrate, that we can sing, we can give up praises knowing that sin does, no longer has a stronghold on us, that the battle has been won because of the death of Jesus Christ. And that we continually remember that every single day, every single day. So I pray that we leave these doors inspired, motivated to just share how amazing God is. To share that God loves everyone. And that Jesus sacrificing himself was proof of God loving everyone. Thank you, God, for this amazing gift. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.